Okay, before we get started today, I'd like to make a quick announcement. Over the last several years, I have spent a lot of time working with investors just like you. Investors who have started their business, got it off the ground, got a little bit of momentum, but just don't know how to scale up from there. They don't know how to take a small business doing a deal here and there and really systemize it and scale it up in a profitable way. I have been helping people for so many years do exactly that. I did it in my own business first, and then I helped other people replicate that success in their business. And my announcement to you is that I am ready to help you do the exact same thing right now. I have developed a program that's called the Seven Figure Investor Blueprint. And it's called that because I wanna take you from wherever you are in your business right now and help you ramp it up into a seven-figure profit business. You can do this. I know you've told yourself that you wanna do it. And for whatever reason, it's just not working out. But I wanna teach you things like how to market, to find the best deals, how to analyze those deals, how to negotiate with sellers and wholesalers to get the best possible deals how to get those deals funded, whether it's private funding, hard money lending, whatever. I wanna help you understand the best way for you to fund those deals, and then how to structure those deals for maximum profit. And then finally, how to build a team around you. You don't have to do everything in your business. And in fact, you shouldn't be doing everything. I don't do everything in my business and it runs really, really well. In fact, it runs better when I'm not trying to do everything. And I wanna teach you exactly how to do that. All you have to do, if this sounds interesting to you, if this sounds like something that you must do in 2022 to reach your goals, go to sevenfigureinvestor.com. That's the word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Sign up. I want to help you this year achieve all of your business goals, but you have to go and sign up first. It's seven, the word seven, figureinvestor.com. I cannot wait to see you inside the program. We are going to do great things this year. For those who don't know, an iron chef, Okay. So he was like one of the celebrity chefs on like chop. Okay. And so, you know, you had a relationship with him and he sort of um, liked our chocolate and, and we had a partnership with him. You're listening to the just start real estate podcast. If you are serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time and energy to tune in and listen. It's a, it's a true pleasure to have you and I don't take it for granted. I have another good guest for you today. His name is Clay Hepler and uh, he is a serial entrepreneur. This guy uh, basically goes into businesses and blows them up, makes them ultra successful, moves on and starts uh, something new. He started his own uh, business though recently uh, and he teaches people how to create, protect, and multiply their cash flow and uh, to maintain it no matter what happens in the market, which is huge for all of us, right? Because the market, the real estate market's crazy. The world economy is is going a little nutty. So he definitely is someone you want to listen to. And I had a good time interviewing him. And, uh, and he's just a smart guy overall. And I think you should pay attention. And so I give you without any further ado, Clay Hepler. Hey, Clay, man, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you being on the show. It's just, it's a pleasure to have you here. Absolutely. And, and 
I appreciate your time. I, I view time as the most valuable resource, and I'm sure we'll talk about that today. But your listeners' time and your time and give me the opportunity to uh, add value to them. Yeah. You know what? I, I say that sometimes at the beginning of the show is that I know there are so many things, so many options for people and so many things pulling at you all over the place. And so when people tune in, I think that's just awesome. And I'm 100% with you. I didn't value time as much as I should have when I was younger, but I it's of ultimate value for me. So you're right. I think you just sitting here with me is is cool as heck because you could be doing a lot of other things too. You're a busy guy. So thanks again for doing that. Uh, and for those of, of the people who are listening who don't know your story, don't know you, um, and you have an interesting background to say the least, uh, why don't you give us some idea of how you got started in just as an adult, right? Like what did you do right out of high school? And then how did that sort of manifest into what you're doing now? Sure. Yeah. I, I, will, I always joke and say I was a, I was a failed diplomat. Uh, my... Uh, my goal in life when I was in high school in, in college was uh, to work for, to be an ambassador, actually. Really? So I studied in college, uh, U.S. Latin American bilateral political and, and trade, you know, economic relations. Wow. So I speak Spanish and Portuguese at this point. Portuguese is a little bit uh, rough for me, but Spanish, I'm still totally fluent. And um, <laughs> I went in, I was driven to become an ambassador. And a lot of there, there are two ways to become an ambassador, right? You either sort of work your way up over time in the embassy, yeah, or you're just like a billionaire, super wealthy. You donate to a political campaign, and the president appoints you to be the ambassador, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, you know, I at that point I was like, well, I like Spanish and I like traveling, and so why don't I just try to work for the State Department? So I so I worked for the State Department for about nine months in Buenos Aires in Argentina, and I absolutely hated it. I mean, it was really? just like. It, it, it was a very, it was a very difficult experience because it was so bureaucratic yeah. and it was so like that the work was just all uh, office work and admin work. And I'm a very active person. Mm. And so, you know, it, 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 my story sort of goes from there, like more clerical analytical work. And then I become, I go into sales. Right. So I, I said, I, I got to take some time off of college to like rethink my life. And I took some time off of college and, and found out that I had a knack for sales, nice. right? I, I had a knack for marketing, for sales, for talking with people. And it ended up really doing well for my family business. It was a chocolate business, luxury chocolate. And I scaled it from two to 42 states in, in about 18 months. So, wow. you know, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the scaling process of that. But along the way, the reason why you and I are probably having a conversation today is I met a guy that was a tremendously successful entrepreneur, a real estate investor, a developer in, in actually Washington, D.C. And he started to sort of informally mentor me, sort of told me about his business and how he was successful. And, you know, when you're when you're 18, right, 17, yeah. 18, 19 years old, 20, you, you sort of like don't know how to talk to someone at that level because yeah. they're so much sure. higher than you. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm sure you can imagine like talking to like a you know, a 14 year old. Yeah. Right. About real estate. Yeah. You probably say, you know, what, what, you know, how do I describe this to <laughs> this person? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so I sort of um, learned about uh, how wealthy people think operate differently, sort of indirectly. And he also taught me about family office structures, like insurance policies, um, taxes, and then I got into reading all the books, right? The, you know, took yeah. the red or the purple pill, right? Rich dad, poor dad. Yeah. And he said, Clay, you have to have equity in a business to become wealthy. 
right? That is the way to become wealthy. You have to have equity. In, yeah. in, in real estate, we have equity via buying properties and, and paying down mortgages, and, and we can leverage that to buy more properties. And then I got into real estate, joined a company uh, here locally in Pittsburgh, and it's really brought my skill set, my sales skill set to that role. And, and now I uh, have a sort of wealth consulting business. I help entrepreneurs and real estate investors. Uh, and And that's where we are today. Okay. So a couple, I'm going to dial back to some things you said about your past, which is interesting to me. You, first of all, I've never in my life, uh, although I know ambassadors exist, I've just never heard anyone say that was what I wanted to do. Like, it's weird. You know, they're there, you know, they exist, but I just never heard anyone say that was my, my goal. So when you were in school and studying, was it interesting to you or was it difficult to get through the classes? Because you wanted it, but you didn't necessarily love the work to get there. Like I, the reason I'm asking is, what the kind of thing you didn't seem to love the environment once you were there, but you thrived in sales. And I don't think most salespeople thrive in office settings doing analytical work. They just don't. It's different, different skill sets, different brains. Yeah, that is. I've never been asked this question, and it's sort of fun to reflect back. And I remember. I was a sophomore in college and I went to a pretty rigorous college, um, pretty, very academic college. And, and my sophomore year, one of the teachers was like one of the core political, cause I had a lot of political science classes that I took. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember reading like, you know, like 200 pages a week. I mean, it was like nuts in political theory and it was, it was so intense and I, I hated it. I hated it so much. I hated all these That's classes funny. because, you know, they were, they were the writing, the writing part about it was sort of interesting to me, but I, I didn't, I didn't like, like get off on talking about political theory and like, yeah. like what made Louis the 15th invade this country? Was it the, you know, the priest that influenced you, right? It's like, to me, right. it was sort of like that was sort of arbitrary and not real. And I've, I've pretty much forgotten everything that I've learned. <laughs> right. Yeah. But but and you don't really use that. And so and yeah. so um, long story short, even though it was interesting to me, like history and, and sort of like political relations was interesting. The real interesting thing to me when I look back, it was the actual negotiations, mm. the actual sort of important historical events that dictated trade relations that dictated economic relations in and political relations in all the countries. And yeah. so there are many levels and the ambassador really is when you think about it, a salesperson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say and that. So that that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's sort of like the correlation, but that, that was a tremendous question. That's funny. Yeah. I kind of sense that there's no way you could have absolutely loved everything you had to do in college and get to the environment and hate it. I would think you would have, but see, I always say that's why people, that's why 17, 18, 19 year olds, you're not really equipped to really, really know what you want for the rest of your life. Like you set a goal, you went after it's great. You pivoted because it wasn't exactly what you wanted, but you're totally right. The end goal, you may have actually been really suited for because you know what your objective is as an ambassador, I would assume. And then it's all sales. It's trying to convince people to see things your way. So um, you probably would have been great at it. But um, yeah, so so that's where we end up where we are now. The luxury chocolate. First of all, again, I, I sometimes I'm bad about this because I get stuck on things that are really intriguing. What is luxury chocolate? Explain to me how that's different from Hershey's. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you go to your your grocery counter 
you know, you, you pick up a, a Hershey's bar. I don't know how much they cost now because of inflation. Yeah. But, you know, it's like two bucks or yeah. something or less, like a dollar for for like eight ounces of chocolate. Okay. Okay. A dollar for eight ounces of chocolate. Right. So you get those chocolate bars and it's just like a pure chocolate bar. Yeah. And, and, and so a pound of that would be four dollars. Okay. Right. Of Hershey's chocolate. Yep. Well, a pound of the of the chocolate that that we sold is like, like $38. Wow. So, yeah. So, so it, 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 it's exponentially more expensive because okay. the ingredients are much, much higher quality ingredients and sort of craft ingredients. And it's the, it's more about the presentation than anything. Right. Okay. So uh, the, the chocolate, you would call it luxury chocolate. It's sort of just an adjective that I use to describe it. Yeah. It's just higher quality chocolate that are perfect. Like we would, like we have a, um, had a relationship with Jeffrey Zakarian, right? So Jeffrey Zakarian is, um, for those who don't know an iron chef. Okay. So he was like one of the celebrity chefs on like chopped. Okay. And so, you know, you had a relationship with him and he sort of, um, liked our chocolate and, and we had a partnership with him, but you know, you're not going to be with him if you're Hershey's. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, yeah. so it's just sort of a, a tier of, of, of chocolate. That's amazing. I, I never heard of luxury chocolate. I knew there was chocolate. People say this is better or whatever. That's fine. But we're talking maybe going from $2 to $4 or $2 to $8. $38 is a just totally different stratosphere. That's amazing. It's awesome. Um, we talked a little bit uh, before we hopped on Mike here uh, that you are from Pittsburgh. And I'm I'm forgiving you of that sin. It's totally fine <laughs> with me as a Cowboys fan. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay interviewing a Pittsburgh fan. It's cool. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about creative capitalists, what that exactly is and why. Because like you scaled your family business from two to 42 uh, states, right? So I assume that's a tremendous revenue increase when you do that. Why not just stay in the business? Why not just stay there? That's a really good question. The, the real answer was um, I was living with my parents doing this full-time, working like an, a madman. And it was a little small, little chocolate business and it really did go exponential. Yeah. But I wanted to go out and do my own thing. Yeah. Fair I enough. Wanted to, Fair it, enough. It, you know, it's sort of like, I just wanted to choose that path for myself. Yeah. I mean, but people say it all the time, like, hey, if my family owned, uh, you know, restaurants or, or this this luxury chocolate in 42 states, man, I'm just going to stay there. Sounds like easy street, right? And I, I just, I wanted to ask to see what your thoughts were. And I admire that, that you wanted to kind of do that on your own, um, do your own thing. So what is Creative Capitalist and why are you, why, why do that? Because I know you have real estate experience, right? You've done, you've scaled up real estate. And I want to talk about that a little bit too, but, but why go why do what you're doing now when you're really great at scaling companies and you've done it? It's almost like, again, I'm, I'm talking a lot here, but I find entrepreneurs interesting. I, I liken it to, you. we're good at building and launching rockets. We're not great at maintaining the rocket once it's in orbit, right? We don't love that part of it. So I see a pattern of going in, exploding a business, going into another one, exploding a business. Now you're in creative capitalist. It's your, it's your thing. What's the goal here? Like, what, what is the plan for this business and what does it exactly do? Right. So the reason why I started creative capitalist was because 
I, I was looking at my, my fiance and, and we were having a discussion sort of like, what, what do we want to do? Like, we're starting to think longer term. We're starting to think about, you know, our children, we're starting to think about marriage and these are big conversations. And, and I, and I've already sort of done a couple of things, you know, not, not huge things, but I've, I've done a couple of things. And, and I thought these things really didn't light me up. You know, I, it, 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 the, the chocolate business is like fine, but it wasn't really my business and the real estate business was fine, but it wasn't really my business. Yeah. Um, and so I asked myself the question, what could I do for the rest of my life and fail at and, and still feel fulfilled? Yeah. Right. Because if you're, if you're hardworking and you follow pr- like principles of sort of wealth principles, you buy real estate, you're going to be wealthy. Yeah. I mean, it's just sort of the level of wealth. And so what I really looked at was a fulfillment barometer, right? I love my conversations with my mentor years ago were sort of the most enriching, fulfilling conversations that I've ever had. And and I sort of want to impart that wisdom on other people. And I, I really could do have conversations like this, talk about how do I get someone from point A to point B? Yeah. How do I put together a holistic wealth strategy? Um, every single day of my life. And I could like, I could not make a ton of money and still be very fulfilled. And that's sort of what, you know, it's like, that's really what I want, wanted to go after. And so that's why I said, I want to create the creative capitalist firm because uh, for me, it's really a joy to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So explain to me, what exactly do you do? I come to you and say, I've got, I make money, I have good revenue and, here we go. I don't know what to do. Like I'm, I'm lost. I'm. It's in the bank, and I, I whatever. I'm just waste. Like, what, what specifically does your firm do for people? That's a great question. So the the, the core thing that we're doing is we are setting up specifically designed life insurance policies. Um, this is some, something that I learned from my mentor. A lot of very wealthy people put a lot of their savings. Even banks do this. 20%, approximately 15, 20% of their liquid savings in life insurance policies. For banks, large banks, it's called bully, mm-hmm. banked own life insurance. And for a lot of wealthy people, they put their money in these life insurance policies because it's tax, tax advantage. It's basically like taking your bank account, putting it into a, a different bank account, your own bank account, which is in the form of a life insurance policy yep. that gives you a 4 to 6% compounded savings rate that is tax advantage. It's tax-free growth. And what really is attractive about this, Mike, and a lot of real estate investors would know this, is that um, you can actually collateralize it, very similar to collateralizing your equity in your real estate, yeah. and use that collateral in, in, in form of a policy loan to go out and buy more real estate while at that same time, your money, that 4 to 6% is continually compounding. Gotcha. So what that does over your entire life is that creates an incredibly large pool of capital that you can continue to go back to and use more and more that's compounding over your lifetime, uninterrupted. Yeah. That, so I, I heard about this concept a couple of years ago. Um, the, the gentleman that I was talking to called it infinite banking. I, I think it's called that sometimes. But 
What what I found interesting, and I think might have gone over the head of folks that you just said, because it went over my head like several times before it was beaten into me, because I just, my brain couldn't go to where he was trying to take me with this concept and, and stop me at any point if I say something wrong, obviously. Sure. But, um, what I couldn't get over was, okay, so I, I take this money and put it into this life insurance policy and it's gaining interest. I can borrow from that policy. I can use the money in that policy without interrupting the amount of interest that I'm gaining. In other words, I have $100,000 in there and it's it's just say it's it's increasing by 5%. The interest is 5% that I'm I'm getting. You continue to get 5% interest on $100,000 even if you take the money out. That that's that's just mind-blowing. There's nothing you can do that, right? You you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too in most cases. And I think this is one area where it's um, it's that way. You you have this the vehicle that's spitting out, you know, this this interest every year. And even if you use the money and gain interest on it somewhere else, right? You buy something that's interest bearing or you buy a property that's gaining and whatever, you still make the money that was in the in the life insurance policy. That was I, that took me like an hour on the phone with a guy to to understand. Yeah, so I when I originally heard about this, I heard about it in a very different concept. I understand infinite banking. Arnel Nash is a, is a gentleman that really popularized this. Um, the wealthy have been using it for like generations. Yeah, it, 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 I think he was sort of a tremendous uh, practitioner of of it and, and brought it into the mainstream. Um, but you actually do know other things that that do this, but they're just not guaranteed. Yeah. Okay. True. So real estate, actually, when you think about it, can serve as a sort of bank. Yeah. Right. Because your equity could, you know, average equity nationally, what is usually like 3% or something or, or 4%, depending yeah. on where you are. Now it's like 50. Right. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like yeah, 20%. Yeah, actually. But you, but you can use it as sort of a line of credit. You know, so I have lines of credits on some of my properties and I can use those to go out and buy more real estate. Uh, it's just not guaranteed. So the reason why life insurance for a lot of people, especially real estate investors, is very attractive is because there are guaranteed provisions within the contract that say every single year, no matter what, you're going to get X amount of interest compounded on your money. And then because the way that we structure these are with a specific, specific type of insurance company, which is called a mutual insurance company very similar to a credit union for a bank, mm-hmm. you as a policyholder are actually a part owner of the mutual insurance company. So every year, the, the life insurance company takes out or the insurance company gets all the premiums that they have and they go out and buy you know commercial core grade A real estate and, and have a bunch of different funds that they go and invest in. And then they return the profit of that dividend to the policyholders. So every year you have the guaranteed dividend that you receive on your cash value. Mm-hmm. And you also have non-guaranteed additional dividends. For, for some companies, the one that I use, it's been declared since 1847. So, yeah. so it's it's essentially guaranteed, but yeah. um, that's what I always say. That's that's why it's so attractive because there are guaranteed provisions within the contract. Now, who who would this, and maybe the answer is nobody, but who is this not a good idea for? Is there anybody that would come to you and you'd say, this this isn't right for you right now? Absolutely. I don't know how you cannot say that 
that they're <laughs> if if you don't if you can't save ten thousand twelve thousand dollars a year, you got to get your money right, yeah. right? So I I don't take clients that can't put at least a thousand dollars a month into this thing. Okay, I say listen, it's you, you, the key here is this is teaching you good financial stewardship, and I know some people um, think differently. Yeah. Than I do. Yeah. They say, you know, you can start with four hundred dollars or three hundred dollars, and I say it's not worth it. There, there, you got to get, um, you got to jump the first level. You got to get through the first hurdle of financial independence, which is setting up the discipline to start to save more money. Yeah. Right. Yep. And when you get to that, then you can go exponential. But I don't take anyone that can't save a thousand dollars a month and put it in a policy like this. Yeah. That makes sense. What if they have a what if they don't have a big lump sum in the beginning? Do you need a lump sum to get started? Can you get started with just a thousand dollars my first month and just continue doing that? You can. Okay. You can. There are many different ways to structure it. And what I'd have to do is I'd have to 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 speak with a, a client's interest exactly how they sure. want to structure it. Yeah. Um, but you can start with just a monthly payment. Uh, you could start with a lump sum. Every every circumstance is different. And we cater the the structuring of the policy to fit, to optimize for that client's specific circumstances. Nice. So you're you're definitely someone who comes into a situation, figures out what's happening, and you you kind of blow that up, right? So we're talking about what you do for the individual, but let's take a step out a little bit or scale back a little bit and look at your business as a whole. What are your plans for your business? Like, do you have a certain amount of clients that you want or a certain amount of, like, how, how do you see this? What's the end game, I guess, for you personally? Yeah. The end game is to create a fractional family office. Okay. And explain to the listeners who are listening who do not know what a family office is, what that means. Yeah. So um, a family office is the cheat code. Okay. <laughs> You basically have people working for you. Okay, so all jokes aside, a family office is a structure that um, essentially very wealthy people have access to accountants, attorneys, advisors that work for them so that every single dollar that enters their own personal economy, their own, all their businesses, the real estate is used in the most efficient and effective way. Okay. Okay. And so... The reason why family offices can be so successful for these you know, wealthy people and only ultra wealthy people can have them is because for them, they're willing to pay someone to be on their team, right? Yeah. They're willing to pay them a lot of money because the mistakes for someone who's worth $250 million has a lot more zeros than it does for probably you. <laughs> maybe not, yeah. right? Maybe you're, maybe we, you but, don't but know. The mistakes, you don't know. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, right, exactly. No, the, the, I, the mistakes I hear you. have a lot more zeros. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, that's, a, that's a real thing. I hear you. So what's a fractional family office? So, um, you know, we're, we're sort of rolling out the model now, right? But it's it the, the goal is is essentially to, to have a s- subscription-based model that you can have access to uh, a, a, mm. a bespoke set of um, basically advisors, attorneys, accountants, yep. and they're sort of handpicked. I call it the Uncle Bob effect. You know, you got you got your local town Uncle Bob that gives you his accountant, yeah, trusty, you know, trusty uh, 
Bill has always been great to me. He's an aggressive accountant, yeah. but maybe he's really missing out on a lot of the things. So, yeah. so yeah. what, you know, the goal of the creative capitalist is, is, is essentially to, to pull some of the greatest minds of attorneys, accountants, advisors gotcha. together so that you can get to financial freedom and really wealth faster. So the first track of this, again, is what, what I'm talking about now is to set up this, this sort of bank. Yeah. And then as you graduate into higher net worth, we help you get to financial freedom and abundance. The end game is how do we preserve and, and increase your, your wealth game over your whole life? Because gotcha. this is not like a like a get rich quick thing. Yeah. This is like, this is a get rich long-term and stay rich so that your family and your family's family yeah. can really be wealthy. Got it. Makes sense. And speaking of building and growing things, before we're done here, I do want to just touch on, because you did sort of go into a, a traditional like real estate rehabbing wholesaling company and blew it up. And a lot of my listeners, and I'm I'm very dialed into this too, like there's a lot of people that will tell you how to get your first deal, you know, and like how do you flip a house and how you hire contractors, like some of this beginning stuff. Very few people talk about the middle part where I've got this thing and it's doing something and I'm making some money, but I wanna like I wanna blow that up. I wanna make it a much bigger business. And we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty. I'm sure there's lots of small things that go into it. But what are some of the bigger brush strokes that you can talk about that made a big difference in hindsight? The, the biggest thing is people. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 hate to, I hate to sort of say that because we can get sort of into the, the weeds related to strategies, tactics. But the most, the most key thing to scale a business is actually having the right people on your team. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you can, you can use the ebook, the E-Myth Revisited, you can use EOS, you can use all these sort of systems that, that have KPIs and, and, and ways to, to scale businesses and, and how to keep your team aligned. But the most important thing is having people on your team that are aligned to a goal, right? Okay. And the, the way that you scale is not by yourself. Yeah. End of story. And so I think that a lot of times people will stand up and in, in people who are incredibly successful business owners that are way more, you know, do 500 deals in the first year or whatever. Yeah. And, and they, and they make it out to seem like it was just sort of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely not. It's absolutely a team effort. Yeah. If you need, you know, you need to have leverage on your team of people that are aligned in the right seats to be successful. Yeah. Um, so that's okay. So I would say hire sense. sooner. I would say hire sooner. Yeah, and get people on sooner than you think. Yeah, I love that. I, I always tell people when you think you maybe should start thinking about hiring, it's already too late. You should have hired, so you need to do it. So let's talk about that just for a quick second, because this is not something that you are unfamiliar with. I, I guarantee you did it in your parents' business. You did it in the real estate business. I'm sure you're doing it in your business. How do you? What are some of the things that you do to find the right people? Because I agree with you. I think people are the. That's the key, right? That's the key to growth. But a lot of people do it poorly, and and so I know that there. I know I have things that I've learned, and like just things that I've 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 made mistakes, and I've improved upon those, and I found out what's really important when I'm hiring, and so what I used to think was important. What have you found that has helped you be better at hiring the right people? Well, to be fair, I haven't hired that many people because um, uh, the way that I 
approached a lot of the, the scaling of businesses is I look at I look for strategic partnerships more than like actual hires. Okay. So for example, okay. well that's interesting um, in, though. Yeah, let's talk about that. In the in the chocolate business. So when we were going to market with our um with our chocolate and trying to get into more states and, and build relationships with small specialty shops, what we were doing at first was I was just sort of cold calling people, you know, like a day. It was was brutal. Yeah. And then, and then I was like, okay, um, don't really want to hire another salesperson or maybe two or three more salespeople because we really needed that. Uh, Is there any sort of aggregators of uh, of Mm. these specific, you know, uh, wholesale or or specialty shops that we could partner with? To yeah. get our name out there at a fraction of the cost, maybe in in terms of sharing the commission, yeah. right? And and so th- there are many different ways to to approach the scaling. But I've always thought I would rather give someone a percentage of the profit than actually pay someone and train them mm-hmm. because they are incentivized. There's more of an alignment of interests. Yeah. And you know I don't know if that works in every business, but for example, we found a couple of online platforms that would basically serve as tech salespeople that took a portion of our um of of the commission of the margin, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, we negotiated that and and we didn't have to pay anyone to we didn't have to pay W2, we didn't have to pay any sort of yeah. taxes, payroll taxes or anything. Yeah. And so we just were like the best way to do it is actually just to f- sort of find a party yeah. that you can you can partner with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so how does that work in the flipping business? Well, there are many different ways to do it, but you could, you know, partner with a someone that sort of would be an aggregator of distressed assets. Maybe it's an attorney. Maybe it's a, um, I don't know, a CPA or right. what, whatever. And, yeah. and so I, I actually, I've never really scaled with someone that's like was on like people on my team. I've only just scaled with partnerships that are exterior partnerships. That's interesting. So plugging into other people who have something that's already established, trained, and they're ready to roll, you just plug in, give them a part of it, and let them go as opposed to developing. So, I mean, essentially, okay, let's bring this back all the way to football. You're you're bringing in free agents. You're bringing in people that have already been trained. We know they're great. And just let them run and do what they do rather than developing through the draft. That's, you know, as a as an example, you're the Rams. Yep. Basically, you were the Rams at that point. Right, right. <laughs> you just bring so, in talent. So, 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 Mike, you know, perfect example actually would be for this is if you were to pr- if you're promoting your podcast, would you set up a, your own social media platform, Mike's social media? No. And website, yeah, no. and like put all your stuff on there, or would you just like use the networks that are already existing, the islands of networks yeah. like Instagram, like Facebook, like LinkedIn, and really tie into those because there's already pre existing clients, potential clients, listeners right. already tied into these platforms. So that's sort of like a very rough way of saying it. Got it. But that I always sense. think I, I, it's like, you know, let's other people do the, the marketing for you. Yeah. or the skill set for you and give them a, a a piece of the pie. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, what were the what were the time frame, the years that you were in that real estate world and and scaling that up? What are we talking about? A year. Uh, you were there a year, but like what year? What are you talking what what year was it? Oh, la- last that's last year. Oh, that crap. Last you year. did 2021? Yep. Wow. 
Wow. Okay. So that's relevant, right? So, so I, I just want to make sure people know you're not talking about something you did back in, in 2002. Like you did this last year. Right. You yeah. can probably tell by my wrinkles in my face that I didn't do it either. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. For sure. I, I, I know that because I'm looking at you, but if they're listening, I want to oh, make right, sure right, they right. know that you're not uh, someone who did this back in 2002. So awesome. Listen, um, I know you wrote an ebook. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So, so the ebook is the seven principles of prosperity. Awesome. So these are sort of core principles that I learned from my mentor and just being in the business world that I think is relevant for a lot of people. And it's sort of a free ebook. I put a lot of time and effort into it. I think it's going to be super valuable for people to give them context and to give them a, a model of thinking that could really get them to financial freedom and abundance faster. It's totally free. There's like you know, yes. just, I'll put the uh, the link, the URL in your show notes, and okay. they can go and, and grab that. And I think it'll be valuable. Okay, cool. We, we will have that in the show notes. So mm-hmm. if you're driving, running on a treadmill, whatever you're doing, uh, just check out check when you're done. Right, just keep going what you're doing, and we'll have it in the show notes. Listen, man, this has been awesome to get to know you. Super interesting guy. I, I have no doubt in my mind you're going to absolutely get to the fractional family office like that. You're going to hit all those goals without a doubt. Um, real quick though, what do you think about what's happening right now as a potential uh, ambassador at one point in your life. Um, is Are you super dialed in and interested in what's happening? Or you're like, I've had enough of politics. I don't really want to, I don't really want to dwell in that area. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I try to stay out of politics as yeah. much as I can. I think that it's sort of mind poison yeah. for me. I totally and, agree, and, actually. And, and, and so I, I know what's going on because my um, fiance works for an international company and she has some uh, colleagues that are Ukrainian that oh, okay. live in Ukraine. Gotcha. Gotcha. That live in Kiev. Yeah. So wow. I'm sure we're talking about the the Russian conflict right now, <laughs> yeah, but they, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like, they're like in this, the, the sub, they're like in the subway yeah. in Kiev. Wow. They're living below the ground right now in the subway. Wow. So that, that's sort of interesting to have that perspective, but I, yep. I really do not listen because here's the thing. My, my philosophy is, you know, I, I will have my opinion about it, but I'm not really going to influence anything. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Here's what I try to do. I try to stay abreast of what's happening to the point that I'm not completely ignorant. You know what I mean? Like I want to know, obviously, but I'm not the kind of person that can sit in front of CNN or Fox or whatever you listen to. I can't just sit there and listen all day long because the, all they're doing is regurgitating hypothesis, you know, creating these hypotheses on what they think. And it is mind poison at some point, but I just, t- to the point that I'm just being responsible, that's all I want to know, like what's happening to that point. And I do have friends too that are Ukrainian and I, I see stuff that they're posting and, and so it, it sucks. But anyways, I don't want to bring us down. It, it's great interview. <laughs> it was nice to meet you. I just, I'm just curious because you were like, that was the world you wanted to be in. So I don't know how much you stay dialed in and you're like, that is ridiculous. And if it like drives you crazy all day long, or if you try to steer a little clear and it sounds like you try to steer a, li- a little bit clear of that. So listen, man, it's been fun to have you here. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate you being on. We talked about it in the beginning. Our time is our most valuable asset and uh, you've given me some of it. So uh, thank you for that. And thank you for sharing with the audience. I think it was uh, a great, great interview and, and very helpful for people. So uh, they can go check out your ebook if they want to get more into your world. How can they find you if they want to go to Creative Capitalist? Well, you can just get me the the, the website is is simple. It's creative-capitalist.com. Okay. And you know, if you're interested in learning more about 
sort of the, the strategy that I spoke about here on this podcast, capital leverage strategy, you can reach me at 412-552-3029. You can text me, call me. Wow. I just threw it out there. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm pretty brave. bold. Yeah, that's brave, um, man. Not many people give out their their uh, actual phone numbers on on the uh, interview, but that's good. Hey, give yeah. them a call, text them, a call them, call them anytime, day or night. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, Shoot. yeah, yeah. Especially, especially. <laughs> middle of the night. Uh, all right, man. Right well, call it. Somebody gets star six seven. You know, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. All that will be in the show notes, guys. Once again, uh, Clay, thanks for doing this, man. I, I appreciate it, and I hope to talk to you soon. Mike, thank you so much for having me. All right, man. Thank you. All right. That was a good interview, I think, with Clay. A smart guy. And I think it's something we, you know, maybe we'll talk about all enough. We talk about generating wealth all the time, like creating, 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 creating. How do we protect it? How do we multiply it? How do we use uh, things that have been used for a hundred years or more to protect and multiply our wealth that we're gaining as entrepreneurs and as as investors. That's a topic we need to make sure we're focused on also, not just creating wealth, but keeping it, right? You don't want to pour or you know have water going into a bathtub that has a hole in the bottom, so to speak. So uh, I think this is, this is the kind of thing we need to talk more about as entrepreneurs. So go check out his ebook and uh, give him a call on a cell phone. He gave you a cell phone number, which is absolutely crazy, but I take my hat off to him. Uh, but yeah, reach out to him if you're interested. I think he's someone who can help you. But for goodness sakes, if you haven't even started yet, and if the concept of cash flow and wealth is something that hasn't even like been a reality for you yet, for goodness sakes, get out there and get started right now. Let's make it happen right now so that we can protect and multiply that wealth. But first, you do have to create it. So go out there and start creating. We'll talk to you next time.